You are listening to the CMC Podcast. Join us each week for messages designed to equip, inspire, and motivate. And now for today's message from Pastor Paul Kern. All right, well, I'm excited. I'm I'm looking forward to starting this series that we're going to be in for the next couple of uh, sessions together on spiritual warfare. This is part one, and I'm looking forward to sharing this topic simply because it's, it's an important topic, but also because there's just a lot of misinformation out there about spiritual warfare. And I've read lots of books on spiritual warfare over the years, and some of them really literally almost scared, scared the devil out of me. It was that, it was that weird and, and just kind of hokey, and, and I thought, is that really what it's all about? You know, and, and one of my goals in these sessions together is to make something that we can apply. It's practical. We can use it every day. But I think one of the reasons that um, people struggle with spiritual warfare is because they become a Christian and they think by virtue of becoming a Christian, things are supposed to get easier in life. Because, you know, they're walking with Jesus. But in fact, some things get harder. And it's hard, especially as a new believer, to see God in the middle of all of that when things get harder for you. Like maybe some of you guys who have come to Teen Challenge or some of you women or you men that have come to Shalom and, you know, you gave your heart to Christ and you're trying to move forward with the Lord. But but all of a sudden it just seems like, man, this is hard. This is not not easy. It, it, it's, it's really difficult. And I want you to understand that the battle between good and evil began before any of us were here, before our feet ever touched the earth. The battle between good and evil began. And our enemy, the devil, once lived in heaven, and he is the source of the problem. Now, we're going to look at some scriptures together, and you know we're just going to kind of pop, 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 go down through here because I want to give you a little bit of groundwork. So if you want to go to Revelations chapter 12, verse 9, Revelations 12, verse 9, we're also going to look at Revelations chapter 20, verse 2. So if you want to mark that, and then we're also going to look at Ezekiel chapter 28. So we're just going to look at a few of these. So Revelations chapter 12, verse 9 This great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, was thrown down to earth with all of his angels. So this was the battle in heaven that I referred to. There was a battle in heaven that took place and Satan was evicted from heaven. Revelations chapter 20 verse 2. It says, he seized the dragon, that old serpent, who is the devil, Satan, and bound him in chains for a thousand years. So the devil was created being. The Bible says he was an angel. <clears throat> the, the Bible talks about what the devil looked like. He was actually incredibly gifted by God. If you look in Ezekiel chapter 28, Verse 13, it describes the devil. It says, you were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, the ruby, the topaz, and the diamond. Wow. I mean, that that was his covering. The beryl, the onyx, the jasper, the lapis lazuli, the turquoise, and the emerald, and the gold, the workmanship of your settings, 
And some translations say timbrels and sockets or flutes was in you. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. Now, in Hebrew, that word settings is tof, and that means timbrel. That's a musical instrument. And likewise, the Hebrew word for sockets is negeb, and that means pipes. And so some people suspect, scholars and different uh, people who have studied this, suspect that the devil, Satan, Lucifer was his name at that time, had musical instruments that were embedded in his body, and he also had all these beautiful uh, stones that were a part of his being. And so if you go on and read the rest of, of that chapter there in Ezekiel, it just talks about how incredibly uh, looking the devil was, how Lucifer was. He was just amazing. And because of this gift that God gave him, the Bible says that the devil exalted himself. So, you know, here he is, his, it, Lucifer, that name means light bearer. Here he was involved with music, therefore worshiping God, he was beautiful, he was more glorious than all of the other angels. The scripture describes that for us, but pride, jealousy, and self-exaltation entered his heart. That's what happened to him because of what he had been given. And so he didn't want to be a reflection of God. That's what God wanted him to be, but he didn't want to be a reflection of God. He wanted to dethrone God. He wanted God's seat. You know, he wanted to be the H-H-H of heaven. Y'all know what that is? That's the head honcho of heaven. But you can't be the head honcho of heaven. There's only one head honcho. That's God, right? You can't go any higher than God. And so when Lucifer wanted to go higher than God, you, you can't go higher than God. The buck stops with God. And so he wanted the other angels' worship all to himself. He wanted all the glory. But church, we got to understand, God won't share his glory, now, it's not because God is selfish, it's because God is wise. God is all-knowing. God is holy, and God knows that that kind of power given to anybody other than him, the perfect creator God, that power would corrupt them. And even Lucifer, given the, the amount that he was given, he wasn't able to handle it, right? And so, it was his downfall here. And so this is what we see. And so what the devil did, Satan still rallied one-third of the angels uh, of heaven to join him in his doomed rebellion, and a war broke out in heaven. And in the end, Satan and the fallen angels, a third of heaven, now what we call demons, they were cast out of heaven. So for those of you who are kind of new in the, in the Christian faith and you're learning I kind of like to lay a little groundwork. Some of you that are here and you've been a Christian for a while, you're like, okay, Paul, why are you talking about this? Well, it's for the benefit of those who are new. You know, they may not know. They haven't heard some of these things. And I remember when I was first learning this, you know, I, I, I didn't know. Now, we have to understand God removed Satan from heaven and he came to the earth and the battle still wages on right here on planet earth. And this is where we come in. And we begin to talk about spiritual warfare and what it looks like. Now, humans are God's most precious creation. We are the, the apex of everything that God made. Not animals, not trees, not, not anything else. Not the stars, the moon. Man is the apex of God's creation. We are the most precious and loved thing that he has. And that's why he adopted us 
Because that's what you do when you really love somebody. You adopt them, right? And you bring them into your family. And God calls us sons and daughters of his. And so we've been given this opportunity to become sons and daughters of the most high God. And Satan knows this. And in his revenge, his plan to get back at God is to destroy us. Now, you know, I've had people come against me personally, attack me, okay? All right, whatever. No no big deal. I mean, obviously, if it's with a gun or something, but I'm just talking about, you know what I'm saying, just people maybe say something hurtful or they're mean or whatever. I, I don't care. That doesn't bother me. But if you come against my kid, right? See, as a parent, you understand this because it's like, say whatever you want to about me, but don't be talking about my kids. You start, talk, start talking about my kids, you know, we're going to have problems. So the devil knew, since God is the, the head honcho of heaven, God's not gettable. You know, he's mad. I want to get God. I want to, he's going to pay for what he did, kicking me out of heaven. Who does he think he is? God? I mean, you know, and so I got to get God. But you can't. But there is one way that you can get God, is you can attack the thing that's most precious to him, and that's us. And so the enemy is coming after us that he might wound or inflict hurt on God. Because the devil's just like a child. You know, he's walking around on the earth pouting like a child. He's angry. He's upset. You know, and that's why, you know, when he came into the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, you know, he started trying on different suits. You know, he tried on the suit of a false prophet. You know, no, that's no, 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 that's no good. You know, what, what about angel of light? No, that's no good. Serpent. Yeah, ah, perfect. You know, and he shrivels in there with, with Adam and Eve. As a matter of fact, let, let's look at this. Look at, go to Genesis chapter 3. So the devil's out to destroy us. But what does this look like in everyday life? That's what I want to get in on. Because I've, I've read books and it talks about the enemy and the devil and all of this, but it, they, they don't give me any help for how I wage war against my enemy, the devil. And how does he even do that? How does he wage war against me? So in Luke, I mean, in uh, Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty. Than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made, he said to the woman, now listen, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? So the devil posed a question about God. But it was a question that was truth wrapped in a lie. Because in reality, God did say, don't eat from a tree in the garden. What God didn't say is any tree. God didn't say you couldn't eat from any tree. God just said you can't eat from one tree. So you've got all these hundreds of trees in the garden, and there's one tree that I don't want you to eat of. And so the devil comes in, and he turns God's statement of truth into a question. See, that's what the enemy does with us. God told Adam and Eve, don't eat from one tree. The devil talked about all of them. So here we see the formation of a tactic that the enemy commonly uses with all of us, okay? And this is what I want to begin to construct and build as we're looking at this 
getting into this series. The first thing the devil did in the beginning is to turn a statement into a question. And this is what the devil does with all of us all the time. So the devil started this conversation with Eve. But it wasn't for the purpose of clarity. He wasn't trying to get clarity on what God said. He was trying to bring confusion to what God said. See, he wanted to get Eve all worked up and upset about what God really said because he knew that her curiosity would result in confusion of God's words to her. And so now what God had spoken to her, how many of, how many of us have been there? God spoke something to us. And then just in a little bit of time, a week, a month, maybe some of you have had a word spoken over you. You know, somebody came to you and said, man, God just told me this, and God told me to speak this to you. And, and then they speak that to you, and I mean two weeks, maybe one hour later, you're like, well, I don't know if that, well, did God really say it? Well, you know, they, they just said that. That probably wouldn't it. And we begin to question. And the whole reason that this is important is because the devil wants to misrepresent God's good intentions toward us. And this is what we've got to understand, and this is what we've got to see, is the devil wants to get you being suspicious of God and his goodness toward you. Well, God, if you really love me, why'd you let me grow up in this home with this man? Well, God, if you really love me, why did you let them die? Well, God, if you really love me, why did you allow that to happen in my life? Well, God, if you really love me, why do I have this disability? Well, God, if, you, if your promises are true, then why is this... See, we turn a statement of truth and God's promise from his word, and then the devil begins to change it and gets to us asking questions. Instead of, what for? What's the purpose of this, God? How can you use this? We're asking, why? Why, why, why? And the devil, listen, this, this is so important that we understand this, church, because the devil isn't nearly as likely to appear to you as some fiery demon or come against you through a coven of witches or through a Ouija board or, or all the other things that, you know, and, and I think a lot of the reason that we're so caught up in this is just because of Hollywood and how they've demonized movies and they've made all these horror movies and now so much of how we perceive the devil is based upon this interpretation of what evil looks like and so we don't even know what our enemy looks like because Hollywood has dictated to us what the devil looks like. So the question that we have to challenge ourselves with is this. Do we consistently believe God's intentions toward us are always good? even when life gets bad. Oh, we can all believe God's good when we got money in our pocket. I mean, we can all believe that God's good when things are going our way, when we're blessed and highly favored. But let things turn and go sour. Let something bad happen. Something that we prayed about didn't come to pass or a death in the family or a sickness or some kind of tragedy or calamity. And then all of a sudden, we begin to question, we begin to doubt, we begin to become suspicious, suspicious of God, and even put God on the stand, and we're the jury, and we're trying God. I've done it. 
in my own life. And that, I think this is why I told Tim that I wanted to share this because I really want to be real and authentic as I present this to you because, you know, I think one of the big issues that most of us face when it comes to the area of spiritual warfare is in the area of trust versus mistrust. And it's hard to trust God when your daddy left you. It's hard to trust God when your brother molested you. It's hard to trust God when a business partner lied to you. See, it's hard to trust God when you pray for something and it didn't happen. And so all of these experiences that we have day in and day out as we go through life begin to build up this suspicion and we move into this area of instead of having this, this complete trust in the Lord and this deeply rooted relationship with him, we move over here into this place of suspicion and mistrust. And God, I don't even know if I can trust you. I don't have anything to do with you. Nobody's ever, nobody's ever done good to me. Everybody's hurt me. And you're going to do the same to me. And so I don't have anything to do with you. And the devil loves that. Because what the devil knows is that moves us into a place of isolation. And when we become isolated, the Bible says the devil goes about like a roaring lion looking who he may devour. Now, if you've ever watched the Discovery Channel and you watch leopards or tigers or lions, they're always waiting for some prey that's by itself. And then it gets you. And so that's what the enemy wants to do. And this is what so much of spiritual warfare looks like to us. See, we judge God's intentions. We don't fully trust the Lord. We don't believe God as deeply as we should. And that's the challenge for all of us as we sit in this room tonight. See, the devil's tactic is to get you suspicious and doubtful of God's good intentions toward you. Oh, God can have good intentions toward pastor. God will have good intentions toward brother or sister so-and-so because, man, you know, they're a good person. They're really godly. But, God, I don't know about me. You know, I, you know, I've made a lot of mistakes. I've done a lot of things wrong. Paul, you don't know about my past. Paul, you don't know about what all I've done. And so, you know, I don't really deserve God being good to me anyway. So he's probably not. See, if we're really honest with ourselves, we can admit that we have an internal conflict. I'm a pastor. I talk to lots of people. They come into my office. We have, we have long conversations. And I talk to people. And I see people having internal conflicts in their relationship with the Lord. And this is the focal point of the devil's war against us and the devil's war within us. Let me ask you a question. Tim and I were just talking about this the other day. How many of you have ever come to church and didn't expect anything to happen? Lots of us. Lots of us. We come to church. The word's going to go forth. Worship's going to go forth. I mean, there's been Sundays. It's powerful. There's been Sundays for people. It's powerful. Then there's been Sundays it wasn't powerful. Well, what was different? You. You were the common denominator. That's the only thing that's different. Why? Because we don't have full faith in God and his promises to us. We know God has the power and the ability to heal. We just don't believe that God has the willingness or desire to do it. And so we get ourselves in a place of 
turning a statement, a promise from the Word into a question. Did God really say, well, I, I, thought, I thought God promised me that. I thought God spoke that to me. I had somebody prophesy over me. Well, I felt like God told me that, and now I just, I don't know. See, this is the internal battle that we all face. The enemy loves to prey on the places of our hearts that we don't fully trust God. That's where he thrives. That's where the attack comes about, where we don't believe his motive is good. Satan uses the moments of pain and abandonment and loss and rejection and hurt to be the daily bread that we feed on. And no wonder we can't move into a deep, vibrant relationship with our Father in heaven when that's what we're eating. We're eating bread with worms in it. And what that does is it just poisons our spirits because of what we're feeding on every day. And so that leads us to the conclusion that God's not who God says he is. And we want to believe that God is who he says he is, but because we're feeding on this rotten bread, we can't believe that. And we wonder why we can't move into a deeper relationship with the Lord, or we wonder why we need to take pills, or we wonder why we've gone from boyfriend to boyfriend, or girlfriend to girlfriend, or husband to husband, or wife to wife, or job to job, or hobby to hobby, or some kind of vice in our life. It's because we're, we're searching and we're looking for that real thing, but the enemy, the enemy, the enemy. See, if we allow God's statements to us to change into questions, we'll lack confidence. We won't trust the Lord fully. And our natural fallen curiosity will lead us into a bunch of confusion. And I've been there. I'm, I'm not beating anybody up tonight. And I know this is kind of, you know, a little harder uh, of a message. But I want to share this because I think lots of times we don't tend to talk about this kind of stuff. And we smile and we act like we're fine. But then when we lay our head on our pillow at night, we're struggling. We're having a hard time. And here's the thing, guys. When hard things happen, it forces you to deal with these things. Or you're just going to sweep them under the rug. But at some point, you can't sweep it under the rug anymore, and you're going to trip over it. And then you're going to either make a decision, I'm going to live for God or I'm not going to live for God. And that's when people become atheists and agnostics, or they go deeper into their relationship with God and they find truth. This is when a believer begins to become double-minded, when you start getting into this place of doubt, questioning, confusion. Okay, let's look at this. Go to James chapter 1. Are y'all getting something out of this? And I, I really want this to be, you know, especially for you Shalom guys and you TC guys, I, I really want this to be something that you can sink your claws in and go, okay, all right, I, I'm seeing this. I'm seeing what the devil's done to me. I see the tricks that he's done in my life. You know, some of you younger guys over here starting out with the Lord, you know, you've only been walking with the Lord for a few years. You know, begin to look at the tactics of the enemy because the devil has tactics. He's got a plan. He's got a way that he comes at us. So James chapter 1, verse 5, it says, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. Did y'all hear that? See, that's a promise. Anybody can ask God for wisdom, and he'll give it to you, and he's not going to find any fault with you. All you got to do is ask. See, that's a promise. 
That's a statement. All right, now here we go. But when you ask, because James already knew what was going to happen. He knew what the devil was going to do before even got that statement out of his mouth. So he's, he's countering it now. But when you ask, you have to believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Listen, such a person is double-minded, and they're unstable in all they do. So he's trying to head off this tactic of the devil before it ever begins to happen in that person's mind because he already knows what's going to happen. And obviously, James had firsthand experience with this. He probably had the same attack come against him. See, when we're double-minded, we stand in the middle ground between faith and unbelief. That's what being double-minded is all about. And until we come to a place where we firmly believe that God is true and God is good, we'll never have peace. We'll never be sufficiently stable in this life unless we come to a place that we believe God can only speak the truth. And God can only be good. So the enemy's first attempt at causing instability in believers is double-mindedness. Getting us going back and forth, doubting, questioning, not sure, unbelieving. And, and, and that doubt in your mind and in your heart is going to cause a division between you and the Lord. A separation. Now... Paul, I believe in God. Listen, the devil believes in God. Demons believe in God. They even tremble in fear. It's not enough to believe in God. Believing in God is not going to carry you through. It's having a relationship with God that's going to see you through. But you can't have a relationship with anybody that you don't trust. I don't don't have relationships with people I don't trust. I tell people, you better stay away from them. They're not trustworthy. They will get you. Stay away from them. I tell people that. Or I'll say, that guy right there, I mean, salt of the earth, man. Solid. Not perfect, obviously, but solid. Do life with them. They're, they're awesome. You'll love being around them. They'll bless you. There will be nothing but good to you. So my big question is this. I've always wondered about this. Why did Adam and Eve have a conversation with the serpent in the first place? I just, I still to this day, I'm like, okay, you know, I'll have a conversation with you, but if some serpent comes up to me, I'm like, I don't think this is a good idea. I'm getting out of here. Adam and Eve, there's some, well, yeah, what's up? You know, I'm like, what are you doing? (laughs) So I got to share this story. Tim told me this story, and Tim will remember it. I've never forgot it. It it was just irony. It was just such irony. When Tim was in college, he had a girl on campus that he was friends with. Not boyfriend, girlfriend, just friends. And she lived in one of the college dorms on this side of campus, and Tim lived on this side of campus. And one night, Tim got a phone call from her. Tim, Tim! You've got to come over here. I mean, it's not safe. It's not safe. And Tim's like, well, what, what happened? Some man called me on the phone and said he was going to murder me. He was going to kill me and murder me. Well, you know, Tim's like, okay, that's a big deal. So he got dressed and he went over there and flashlight and walked all around the 
apartment, the dorms, looking and checking and looking to make sure everything's good. And, you know, goes up to her room and her roommate and her, and he makes sure everything's okay and everything's fine. And, man, he's there for a while, calming them down, getting their breathing settled. Okay, that's, that's, that's all right, that's all right. And so everything's good. And, and, I mean, the next night she calls Tim again. Tim, Tim, you've got to come over. He's called me again. He's called me again. He's going to kill me. He's going to cut my throat. I mean, he's told me he's going to kill me. He's going to kill me. Well, Tim goes back over there, and he does the same inspection, and everything's fine. This goes on for night after night. She picks up the phone. Hello? I'm going to kill you. No, no, don't kill me. Yeah, and I'm going to cut your throat. Oh, you are? What else are you going to do? Oh, I'm going to strangle you. Oh, no, no. I mean, just on and on and on. And Tim was telling this story, and I was just, it was in one of our classes. I was cracking up. I mean, it was hilarious. But after he did this night after night, it finally hit him. And he said to her, did it ever occur to you that you could just hang up the phone? No, no, you're going to what? Oh, no, and that too? Oh, no, no. I mean, hang up the phone. But too many people, listen, too many people are having conversations with the devil, and you need to hang up the phone. Come on, hang up the phone. I don't even want to be in this program. Hang up the phone. I don't even like them. They don't like me either. Hang up the phone. We got to hang up the phone. Listen, listen. Never let the devil turn your ear into a garbage can for him to dump his lies. Turn off the phone. So in this battle, we've got to train our hearts. We've got to train our minds. We've got to train our ears not to listen to the enemy. And I really want to encourage you tonight. You know, one of the things that your leadership will encourage you in here at our church or whatever ministry that you're involved in and serving at, they will encourage you to pray. Pray. Connect with God. Spend time with the Lord. But, but I want to encourage you in something. If every time you pray, all you hear is condemnation, if every time you pray, all you hear is God pointing out all your faults and your mistakes, is if every time you pray, all you see is God saying, yeah, you did this and you did this and you did this, I want, I want to give you a little revelation tonight. That's not God. It's not God. Because that's not how the Holy Spirit speaks to us. Now, I'm not saying the Holy Spirit won't convict us of our sin. He'll point out areas that we need to work on and change, but he's going to encourage us. You know, I'll come to my son and I'll say, son, you know, here's an area that you need to work on, man. And I want to encourage you. Here's some things that you might consider doing to help you in that thing. But see, because many of us have grown up in a home life where yelling and screaming and hollering and fussing and fighting and there's no peace, we think that's the only way anybody communicates. That's the way I grew up. I thought that was the only way you did communicate. And then I found out you don't have to yell, fuss, and cuss everybody. 
you can be nice and get along and have a pretty good life. And so I was determined, I'm going to have me one of those lives. And now in my family, I grew up in a broken, alcoholic, dysfunctional, dope-ridden family that was just terrible. I mean, we all could have been on Jerry Springer. All, every one of us. We'll fit right in. But when Christ came into my life, he began to turn all that around. And now i got a family that's halfway normal most of the time. Most of the time. <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about? Y'all like, yeah, my family's that way too. We're normal most of the time. So we have to understand that we, we have to train our hearts. We have to trust. We have to get our ears only allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to us. Now, there's two battles that we all face. There's an internal struggle and there's an external struggle. And I want to talk about these. And I'm, you know, I thought I would be a lot further along than I am right now. So we'll move this to, to next week, some of this later. But let's start with the internal struggle. Internal struggle. Our battles often come from inside once we accept our new identities in Christ. So just because you're saved, that doesn't mean that you're not going to have a struggle inside. Okay? Understand that, you know, when you were born again, your spirit was made alive unto God. But that's the only thing that was made alive unto God. Everything else has to be renewed. Okay? So 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that is, grafted in, Joined to him by faith in him as Savior. He is a new creature, reborn and renewed by the Holy Spirit. The old things, the previous moral and spiritual condition, have passed away. Behold, new things have come because spiritual awakening brings new life. That's the amplified version. But even with the Holy Spirit, the Christian life isn't smooth sailing. I wish it was, but it's not. And this is because our minds, our thoughts, our attitudes and our habits all have to be renewed. All of them do. Now, my spirit's made alive to God and perfect the instant the moment that I made Jesus my Lord and Savior. Instantly, I'm made alive unto God, and my spirit is perfect. And I'm as righteous as I will ever be in that moment. You can't earn righteousness. You can't grow in righteousness, okay? You can grow in faith, but you can't grow in righteousness because that's Jesus' job. But then there's that, that part of you on the inside the habit patterns, see, the old habit patterns, mindsets, attitudes, belief, all those things have to be renewed. So our spirits want to agree with God, but our old habits and our lifestyles can trick us into believing the lie. It can trick us into believing that we're not yet free when we really are because Jesus set us free. Everybody say, Jesus set me free. See, he set us free. And our quickest and most powerful weapon then is to agree with that truth. What does God say about me? What does God say about me? If you know what God says about you, then you know how to do battle with what's coming out of the old you. See, I, the old me tries to resurrect himself from time to time. I recognize that. I see that. I'm able to identify with that and deal with that. So you recognize the old you. So when you talk to God, you don't just only hear condemnation. No, you recognize that's the old you. That's not the new me. And so now I got to begin to tune my heart and ear into what God is now doing inside me. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? The second battle is an external struggle. 
Now, the external struggle, and, and sometimes the fight happens just simply because we live in a fallen world. I mean, we just face hard things just because we live in a fallen world. This world's not perfect, and it'll, it'll be made perfect when Jesus comes again. But right now, it's not. Matthew 5.45, listen. Your Father in heaven, for he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. So that clearly reveals that no one, no one is untouchable. Not anybody is untouchable. Each of us is touched by pain and sickness and death. I don't care if you're the Pope. It doesn't matter who you are. You know, a lot of people thought Billy Graham might not die. They thought he might just, but, but Billy Graham even died too. All of us are, uh, none of us are untouched. We're all experienced this. The devil's real. And the fact that we face hard things doesn't mean that we're guilty of a specific crime. And I think it's so important that we understand this. Suffering oftentimes only confirms that there's still a battle going on and we're in it. And that's why we do spiritual warfare. It doesn't necessarily mean there's something wrong with you or you've done something wrong. It could just mean that we live in a fallen world, and the result of living in a fallen world, there's going to be fights and disagreements. So suffering confirms that there's an active battle that's still trying to separate you and I from God. And our, as we look at this, we have to understand God has given us through the new birth, okay? See, I didn't used to have a choice. When the devil came to me and he wanted me to do drugs or do something wrong, I was under his control and his power, and I went and did it. And I got as many people involved with me as I could to do it with me. But when I got born again, I was given power. And see, now I have a choice. And when the devil comes to me, I have the power to choose good instead of evil. But we're all faced with that choice every day, good or evil. And we've all been given the freedom to choose good or evil. Now, we have to understand sometimes that means other people choose evil. And when other people choose evil... That can make us suffer. My dad, when I was growing up, very hardworking man, but he chose to drink alcohol. And that alcohol led to alcoholism. And when my dad drank and got drunk, my dad was mean. And my dad would kick you around and would beat you and do horrible things to you. And so as a result of that, I experienced and I suffered as a result of his evil choices. See, you know, whether or not I'm praying to God and asking God for his guidance and and relying on God's guidance, his evil decisions affected me. So we have to understand that, church, and we have to see that. See, his decision affected me no matter how much I was relying on God's guidance in my life. So it's important to understand the weight of our choices, but it's also vital to recognize that God is way more hurt over people's bad choices and how they hurt us and affect us than we ever would be. I mean, God's crying buckets of tears over the fact that your dad did what he did or your your mom and dad divorced or that person. I mean, it's hurtful. So you've got to understand, for God, that affects him just like it affects us. That's why God's going to make all things new. He's going to make all things right. So our Father in heaven, he is, he is our parent. And every parent 
you know, they languish when their children aren't where they're supposed to be. They languish when their kids aren't walking right with God. And God's the same way with us when we're not walking right with God or when other people that he created aren't walking right with God. So, so let me wrap up tonight and, and, and kind of end what I'm talking about. Internal and external battles leave us asking questions and struggling with life. Struggled for a long time in my walk with God. I didn't get saved till I was 23 years old. <clears throat> I had a lot of questions like, why am I even here? Why am I on this earth? What is the point of me even being here? What is God's will for my life? Am I ever going to feel like, ever going to feel like I have enough? Is feeling lost normal? I felt lost all the time. I thought, is that, is that normal? Is that how everybody feels? Can I really be happy? Do I really belong? Can I really be forgiven? Am I replaceable? I had all these questions floating around in my mind, tormenting me all the time when I'd lay my head on my pillow at night. But the good news is, church, is we don't have to live continually caught in questions and the struggles of life because Jesus came to answer those questions. Jesus is the answer to all of those questions. The cross reveals the answer to all of these things. And I want to help show us the enemy's plan. So as we end part one and we get ready to enter into part two next week, we're going to learn how to clearly know when the battle is coming from the inside of ourselves, when the devil's involved, and when God may intervene to give us a plan for battle. And this study is going to be practical. It's going to be realistic. And that's kind of the way I wanted to frame it, even going into it. I'm going to share some things that have worked for me, and they'll work for you. God wants us to have a healthy spiritual life as we face the battles that we encounter every single day. And God wants us to face these battles with joy, not depression, not I'm just trying to get through today. I'm just trying to survive. God didn't put you here on this planet to just survive. God put you here to thrive. God wants your life to be blessed, abundant, above and beyond, and you can have that life regardless of your circumstances. It doesn't have anything to do with where you're at or the kind of family that you have or what you're facing. It has everything to do with your connection with God. Now, you may have walked with the Lord for many years, or you may be listening to me, and you may be a new believer. You may not been walking with God hardly any time. And here's what I want you to know. God uses amateurs. It's not about being equipped. It's about being willing. I didn't know anything when I came to Christ. Zero. Nada. But it wasn't about me being equipped. It was about my heart being willing. And if you're willing, I'm telling you, God will take you on this crazy journey and he will begin to reveal himself to you and heal you and set you up and move you into such a great position in life that you will live winning the spiritual battles that come against you every day. Amen? Amen. Y'all stand with me tonight. Yeah, let's give God a hand clap. Come on. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for truth. God, help us. Help us to grow. Help us to know how to wage war against our enemy and live a life of abundance. We give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. 
You have been listening to the CMC Podcast. For more information about CMC, our different conferences, Christian school, college internship, resources, and more, go to cmchurch.com. 